Welcome to the Colorado A-List. We're building a thriving business community based on generous leadership and authentic connections. I'm your host, Matt Brower, and today's episode is brought to you by Column Commercial Partners. Column Commercial Partners is a Colorado-based real estate company exclusively advocating for the tenant and buyer side of the table. If your company has real estate needs coming up, you can find them at www.columncommercial.com. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today's uh, episode, we have a very special guest, uh, Colorado entrepreneur, the founder of Trey Laura. He's uh, involved in the Colorado Thought Leaders Forum. He's involved in Habitat for Humanity, a resource area for teachers, also called, called RAFT. Uh, he's a father of six. He's an avid traveler to international destinations and beaches, just like myself. Welcome to the show, Joshua Hunt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. So, Joshua, you and I met uh, a few months back, um, introduced through a mutual friend, and we spent the uh, two hours together in the most riveting conversation. It was very uh, interesting and inspiring for me to hear your story. I want to get more of that uh, on this show so that the listeners can kind of hear, uh, hear about you, your past, and kind of what drives you as well. Um, why don't you start by um, maybe, you know, Something I'm passionate about. Where's the coolest place you've traveled recently? Uh, I was in Costa Rica at the beginning of the year. I went for a week and ended up staying for 20 days. So it's, uh, I, I, it's definitely a place I could live. Wow. What part of Costa Rica? I was in Tamarindo. Ooh, yeah, I've driven yeah. through there. It's, uh, it's pretty interesting. They don't have uh, uh, a military there. And so their whole... Uh, uh, mantra is pure vita, pure life, and so there's you don't see cops and guns, and you don't see any of that anywhere around, and it's a pretty pretty chill place. Wow! And very inexpensive to uh, to live there. Yeah, I have uh, I actually have a friend years ago. He kind of retired from his life here, moved down there, bought a he didn't buy it, he signed a 20 year lease on a little hotel on a beach that was dormant, and he brought the, brought it back up to operation and kind of runs that now he's living it up well i have a friend out there who did the same he uh he actually purchased a resort and uh, it's called rhythmia and it's a health and wellness life advancement center and uh, they take you through a lot of really cool experiences out there it's truly a life-changing thing so oh, if you're into nice. plant medicine or anything like that uh it's uh, pretty extraordinary i went out and i did ayahuasca oh nice uh, for, for eight days and it was uh, truly game-changing how long ago was that uh january Okay. Was most of January. I was nice. There. Yeah. What's the name of the facility again? Rhythmia. Rhythmia. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. G- uh, Gerard Powell is okay. his name. Is the guy that I don't, his story is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Uh, pretty interesting. He was a very successful entrepreneur. Sold his business for a huge amount of money. Uh, got into drugs pretty heavily. Lost his marriage. Lost his kids for a period. Oh. Uh, went through rehabs and then uh, tried ayahuasca. And he's not done drugs or alcohol since. Wow. And uh, just after a couple of events. So pretty interesting to see and he's helped people cure diseases and you know depression and mental illnesses and mm-hmm. uh, you know he's helped marriages come back together through this and uh, has many many stories of, of of people coming off of drugs literally in just a matter of a week's time so wow uh, and if you don't know anything about ayahuasca just youtube it and there are countless videos i was terrified to do it and i had many people telling me to try it and 
you know, I didn't drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, or watch our movies until I was 33 years old. So uh, I'm wow. not much of an adventurist in anything like that. But uh, truly mind-blowing experience. Mind-blowing. I have, uh, there's also a couple uh, documentaries on Netflix about ayahuasca. Many. Um, I can't remember the names of them right now. But, yeah, if you just search, uh, va- fascinating. I'm a big supporter, believer in plant medicine. Uh, and I think the fact that we just decriminalized um, psilocybin, yeah. mushrooms here, I think a lot of people are starting to realize the healing effects of these types of things. Well, so. I think people need to know the psilocybin legalization or decriminalization. Um, I don't think psilocybin or plant medicines should ever be recreational like marijuana. I think that's right. the big fear. I definitely think, um, you know, his facility has doctors and nurses and, and uh, you know, highly trained shamans and everybody. And so it's it's a it's a. Uh, it can be, you know, I don't want to say dangerous, but if, if used incorrectly, it, it can definitely cause harm. So when, you, when you're around professionals during your entire uh, use of it, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's not, um, there needs to be intentionality behind it. It's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yep, I, am, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, so speaking of, uh, you had mentioned, uh, you know, that your friend, sold his company for a large amount of money. Yep. Uh, great parlay into kind of part of your personal story. Sure. Uh, so you founded Trey Laura, which was what, about seven, seven, eight years seven ago? Seven and a half, almost eight years ago. Okay. Yep. So I wanted to just kind of hear, well, the listeners to hear uh, what you were doing prior to that and how you came to build a company that essentially... Uh, disrupted the entire residential real estate industry. And there's a lot of companies now that have followed suit like Zillow, Redfin, a lot of these kind of tech related real estate companies. I think that you were the kind of first to do that. Sure. Can you talk about that? You know, it's funny. I, uh, so I dropped out of high school the second week of my 10th grade year. And uh, after dropping out, <clears throat> I'd, I'd been working and had little businesses and, and, and pretty successful. And I realized that school was holding me back from, from building business and making money. And so uh, shortly after I dropped out of high school, uh, I met a gal and we got married. And her parents were absolutely devastated that I was the man she chose. Uh, you never <laughs> want your daughter to marry a dropout of high school who's got dreadlocks and tattoos. Uh, you had dreadlocks? You. Yes. And congratulations <laughs> to you. I'm your new son. Now, keep in mind at the same time, I didn't swear, I didn't watch our movies, and I didn't drink alcohol. So I was very religious at the time, but I was also pretty on the wild side of like living, living fully and whatever I could without, you know, going against what I believed. Right. And so every time we'd see her parents, they'd give me ideas of what I could maybe do for a living, or maybe I should, you know, go back to high school, or maybe I should, you know, try and do something, go, go to a tech school. And we were uh, on the highway getting off at an exit ramp, and uh, uh, Amber, my ex-wife's um, mom, said, uh, you should get into real estate. And so I was so uneducated at the time, at 19 years old, I didn't know what real estate was. So she had to explain to me that it was houses, and that's how people sold it. And we pulled up to a bench, and there was a real estate agent who was marketing on that bus bench. And she said, that lady right there is a real estate agent, and she's marketing herself. And I remember my first thought was, that's a weird way to market yourself on a bus bench. But, you know, I, I, uh, I took down her number, and I called her, and she sent me to a real estate school. And... Uh, re- Really, the rest is history. When I went into the real estate school, uh, it was $2,000 to go to real estate school. It was at Century 21. 
and it wasn't online. You had to go to class four nights a week from 5 to 9 p.m., and it was six months long. Wow. Was this here in Colorado? Yes, okay. on, on Hamden, and, uh, Hamden and Tamarack. Oh, yeah. And uh, Jim McGee was my, uh, my instructor. And oh, my he, God. Uh, Good memory. He, uh, at the end of the, the orientation pitch to, to sign up, I went to him afterwards. I didn't have 2000 bucks. I mean, I was a broke kid, and Amber's parents had zero desire to help us. I mean, they flat out said, you're going to figure this out on your own. We're not paying for anything for you. Wow. Uh, he, in fact, Amber's dad said to me, uh, right after we eloped, which, by the way, eloping uh, was another down uh, down points for me. I, it was not good. <laughs> with, the, with the in-laws? He, uh, <laughs> he said, you may have married my daughter, but you didn't marry my checkbook, so you're on your own. Wow. And so yeah. I went up to Jim after this little orientation and said, I can't afford the class, but I'll make you a deal. I'll give you my first two commission checks if, uh, if you let me come into the class for free. And he laughed at me, and he said... Uh, you know, 90% of the people who go through this class will never sell a house, so this isn't a win-win for me. I said, you rest assured, sir, I will sell a house. And so he, he struck the deal with me and said, no problem. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so I got into real estate school with no money, and uh, about halfway through, he, he, was, he was pretty, not, I don't want to say negative. I, at the time, it felt negative. Now it's realistic. He said, most of you will fail. Yeah. Most of you will not sell a house, and for those of you who do, it won't be for the first six to 12 months. And every time he would say that, he would look at me. And so I went to him, and, wow. I, and, and so, you know, I'm now doing, I'm connecting with people telling them I'm, I'm going to be a real estate agent. And all of a sudden, I start to collect people that said they'll buy a house from me. And uh, so I went to him after one of the classes, after he was saying, basically, you're all doomed for failure, and none of you are going to sell a house very fast. I said, I'll make you another deal. If I sell a house in the first month, I get real estate school for free. Oh my gosh! And uh, he said, "Done deal." Really? I said, you Were you on his team? Like, what was his? Uh, no, actually, he was a managing broker. I was going to hang my license okay. at his okay. office. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes and, sense. Uh, you know, and it was back that's back in the day when we did fifty-fifty splits yeah. uh, as a new agent. So you know, he's thinking, "I'll get my money either way." And uh, uh, sure as shit, I sold two homes in my first thirty days. Oh my uh, gosh! And I sold. I was rookie of the year internationally. Uh, with uh, Century 21? Well, I, I only did four deals at Century 21, and then I left Century 21, and I went to Remax. Okay. So Remax tagged me as the Rookie of the Year. Clear back Nationally. 1996, I believe. Six wow. or seven. 1996 or seven. Were they the largest residential oh, real estate firm back then, brokerage. too? Yeah, they were huge oh back God. then. I mean, that's, you know, 25, 30 years after Linegar had done his magic of creating the company. And I wanted Remax, and that's back when Remax was only producers, mm. only the elite. And so, because you had a desk fee, when you hung your hat at Remax, you paid two to three thousand dollars a month for a desk. So they didn't want non-producers, and so as a new agent, they weren't interested. But the fact that I had sold four or five homes in my first few months, they were willing to let me in. And and you know, uh, Jerry Fitzpatrick, that broker then, was pretty hard on me. He said, uh, "I'm watching you, and one slip up, and you're out of here." Wow. I, uh, uh, and, and the rest is history. I mean, I, I crushed it. I made platinum clubs. I made million-dollar clubs. I was the number one agent uh, yeah. several, several times, month after month. Uh, I became one of the top uh, you know, 10 or 20 agents in, in, the, in, the, in the, uh, the system of Colorado. Uh, and I was a fluke from the fact that I didn't have a suit and tie. I didn't do the whole uh, song and pony show. I didn't drive a Mercedes. Even when I got successful, never drove fancy cars. I drove, you know average Fords and Chevys, and, yeah. uh, but I fell in love with this idea. Now, the funny thing is, is that first home I sold, this is back 
23 years ago, contracts were only one and a half to two pages long. And it took me four hours to write my first contract. It was only like 25, 30 blanks that I had to fill out. But okay. I was, because of my lack of education, uh, I struggled. It also took me six times to pass the real estate exam. So I failed over and over and over before I, I passed it. After my first deal, I took my commission check and I hired an assistant because I didn't want to do all that work. And uh, I've had an assistant writing contracts and, and managing that for me uh, my entire career. Ever since, yeah. Uh, I, I was with Remax for eight, almost nine years. And then I bounced. I got recruited over to Keller Williams. Uh, in my first year and a half with Keller Williams, uh, you know, I, I had jumped because I was looking for something new. Uh, and I'd realized almost a decade into this business, I, I didn't like it anymore. Hmm. I was done. It became very monotonous. You know, I was selling anywhere from 125 to 200 homes a year. I had two assistants and one, uh, one buyer agent and a little field manager. And uh, I just was, it wasn't, the challenge had, had left. I was uninterested. Uh, we worked out of my home. My kids were growing up. I went on a vacation to Hawaii and I saw this big whale uh, boat tour this guy that was doing uh, tours on boats yeah and so my idea was i was going to sell my team and go buy a boat in hawaii and do whale tours and uh the, the, one of the guys at keller williams said you should become a coach uh, in our coaching training and consulting system uh, maybe that'll help and so i jumped into coaching with keller williams fell head over heels in love with it uh took a handful of agents like you know 40 of them and uh overall in six months we cre increased their production almost 300 percent wow in six months in six months and uh, it was just me helping them figure out how to build a business. You mm -hmm. know, a lot of people like houses and all that, but there's a difference in marketing versus you know, managing the money versus managing the leads and the websites. And so I'd figured out that a goofball without a high school diploma could figure this out. I could help really smart people figure this out. <clears throat> so did you, would you say um, as part of that exercise, were you implementing systems that were not there or were you uh inspiring them to take more action or was it more about like bringing passion to the team what what, what would you say shifted for the those 40 people you know i think for, for me when i when i was an agent i don't think i had any, had any real good ideas i just saw what other people would talk about doing or what one agent would do a, a really cool way and I, I stole it from all the agents in the office and i built my own system okay and so our office was uh uh I had a house where I took two of the bedrooms and made it a huge office, and it was floor-to-ceiling dry erase boards in the entire thing, and it had pinstripes. And this was, again, back before computers and fancy CRMs yeah. uh, that really worked. And so my entire database of all listings under contracts and, 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 and buyers were all on dry erase boards, and my assistants would just update the dry erase boards every day. My CRM was four 3x5 card boxes, and so I would call your 3x5 card and promise you another call, and I'd throw back into another, you know, I'd put it in... October of later this year and so every day I'd come in and I'd pull all the cards out of the day's call first thing I did every morning was I dialed my people I wow. talked to them I connected I did whatever I needed to do and uh, I did listening appointments and that's all I did hmm. and so I began to teach agents and I learned through that process and, and prior to coaching uh, about behavioral profiling and, and, and skill sets and living in your strengths and so I really started to get with these agents and realize that you know, an engineer-minded agent who is very detailed and, and, and analytical isn't going to want to do those phone calls every morning. So we've got to help that agent build their business around their personality, not mine. And so it's really helping them then stack people around them that fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. And so that's really where I, I, I found the success was helping people live in their strength and, and either give away or run from their weaknesses. 
uh, wow. because it's the way I've done my whole life and continue to do my whole life. Like uh, uh, the example being pulling in a, uh, an assistant to write those contracts for write you. Write the contract. Like you know, yeah. and it's, I joke, if I would have had an assistant in high school, I would have graduated with honors. I just needed somebody to keep me organized and get everything done. And when I talked, they would, you know, keep it all spelled right. Right. Uh, and so as I went through this uh, process, I became... Uh, uh, interested in, in recruiting, training, and becoming a team leader, what they called for, for Keller Williams. Mm. And an opportunity was presented, and I became the top recruiter uh, in Colorado for Keller Williams, and at one point, top in the country mm. uh, several times over. And just through that journey, it was, um, you know, I joke, I really wasn't that good of a recruiter, but when you're a top agent and you look across a, you know, a coffee table at somebody and say, I'll help you make the, make the business the way I did, they just, they come because they're interested. And yeah. so... Um, but through that process, I uh, had an opportunity to take over some offices in, in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, that is where kind of my whole life turned upside down on a dime and, and, and the change got shook out of my pockets. I once again became one of the top recruiters in one of the smallest markets in the country. There was only 2,000 agents there. Mm-hmm. And I was recruiting dozens and dozens of agents to that brokerage. Uh, in, in fact, uh, I was called the real estate tycoon from Denver at one point in Charleston. You're kidding. And uh, it was, you know, it was a silly little thing. And, uh, uh, but through that, here I was yet again getting some silly plaque, some trophy, some recognition for how I'd accomplished something. But I myself internally was struggling. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was not happy. Um, internally, I knew why, but my mind wouldn't allow me to ever go there. Yeah. Uh, I, I grew up in the church and uh, knew very early on that I was gay. Mm. Uh, when my wife and I met when we were dating, the reason I proposed to her is I shared with her that I was attracted to men. She said that didn't scare me away. And that night I went to Zales Jewelry Store in Grand Junction, uh, Colorado, and I bought her an engagement ring. And the next day I proposed on Santa's lap. And, oh, my uh, gosh. The rest is history. So we carried this burden, per se. This secret uh, or what, yeah, whatever. That we never talked about. Yeah. I think it came up once or twice in our, in our, in our marriage. Uh, we had a, uh, what I would call a perfect marriage. Uh, our disputes were healthy. We, we communicated well. We were best friends. We lived life. We, we, we traveled. We decorated houses. We had six kids. We adopted three and had three biological. And uh, uh, in Charleston, she saw me hit my slump again, where it's like I'd just come back from this event uh, from Keller Williams uh, being recognized. I got to speak on stage about my unique recruiting talent and how I had a few secrets that I got to get people to meet with me and uh, things began to fall apart and uh, Amber basically walked me out of the closet very slowly. She took me to my first gay bar. Uh, she and I are still best friends today. We text wow. and email. We vacation together. Sometimes with still the kids. Still to this day. Still to this day. Wow. With her new husband. Uh, with the kids sometimes. Without the kids sometimes. So we, uh, we just committed to each other. You know, I told her dad, I said, till death do us part. And I meant that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's interesting. We had no, no, no child support, no alimony, none of that. We just, we just said we would do this. And we shared a joint checking account for years after our divorce. Uh, and we just said we'd do it. Uh, wow. She started Trey Laura with me. Did she really? Yeah, she originally did. Do uh, you think um, that you would have been able to, uh, I guess, become who you are today without her helping guys. It sounds like she had a, a very deep part of like walking you yeah, no through way. this process. No way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am today without our entire life together, but more so. 
her grace, kindness, and compassion are like you have never met. Uh, and when you're a woman, and I've not been one, but I can't imagine having your husband leave you because he's gay. Yeah. And you read the stories, and most of them are not good. Yeah. Uh, and we just said, listen, this just proves we, we are a match. We like everything the same, including guys. Yeah. Like it's just so let's just roll and make it happen. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, this is, you know, interject me interjecting a thought here. But uh, like, I think most people would take something like that and make it personal. Like they take it personally. Must be something about me. What a gift that she realize the power that she had in your life and the ability that she could really have a very positive impact on you um, and vice versa. And it's just part of you guys came together. You created this journey together. And I mean, it continues. But yeah, it's a very critical part of both your lives. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, I was in Charleston, South Carolina, succeeding, helping this franchise turn around. And we I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it was ridiculous how easy it was to go out there and recruit and I, I couldn't believe it. it was way easier and uh wow when we had faced this reality that oh crap like this is it we're gonna we're gonna sink amber loved charleston i mean she loved that place uh, i i never did really i couldn't figure it out it was just a different culture and environment but we went to the business partners um to let them know we were going to be divorcing and why and uh it was shortly thereafter that they asked me to go back to Colorado. Mm. Um, so if uh, I would make any suggestion for anybody, don't go to the South to come out of the closet. I probably should have <laughs> stayed in Denver because it would have been no big deal. Yeah, I could see how that would have been and impactful. And so I, I parted ways from Keller Williams. We came back to Colorado. Yeah. Uh, when we came back in the middle of our divorce, we moved into the same house with two master bedrooms. We lived oh together God. for a year because we were committed to make this easy for the kids. Yeah. And... Uh, and I think that was one of the best decisions. I mean, obviously, if every divorcing couple could do that and gracefully part ways from one another, it would be um, uh, better for everyone. But uh, during that process, I, uh, I went on a soul search. I thought I was going to go into coaching, training, consulting full time. And um, I didn't like it. It was unfulfilling. It was I was I had a bunch of agents that had hired me. I was making money, but it was just these phone calls. It was it just seemed like I was not doing what I wanted. Yeah. And so I started to look at opportunities and uh, I hadn't sold houses now for a couple of years because I was recruiting and training and all that. And I woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm just going to go back and sell houses. And so Amber and I fired up our, our little real estate team again. And, you know, she she worked with me in the, in the first season of life because we had six kids three dogs, two fish, and a turtle. Like oh, my she gosh. Didn't, she didn't have time to work. <laughs> Full uh, house. Because she was, she was actually doing the real work. I was just goofing around doing this house thing, and she was raising six kids. And, right. You know, we worked in the same home, but we decided to start this real estate team again. And I went on a listing appointment, and uh, I got it. And back in the day, my, my listing fee was 6.5%, not negotiable. Right. Uh, when I was charging 6.5%, uh, a seller would look across the table at me and say, "Are you? is that fee negotiable? And I'd say, yes. If at the end you think I'm worth 7%, we can bump that right up. And that was my, my pitch. And so I walked into this house, million-dollar home, pitched them 6.5%, and bam, they agreed to it. Wow. And I walked home, and I told Amber, I said, this is bullshit. Yeah. These people are going to pay me 6.5%. And I'm not going to do anything special. I'm going to punch a sign in the yard. I'm going to take some pictures. I'm going to do some marketing. I'm going to, you know, manage their contracts, everything I've always done. 
well, why would they pay 65 grand for that? Mm. I was a little bitter at Keller Williams, and not international because it's a franchise. It was just the partners. Keller Williams as a whole is an amazing company. I argue the best cultured company in the industry. Wow. Uh, what they built is uh, you can't compete with it. You wow. cannot. Yeah. Uh, it was just always so just the, this just, team you know, in the South just, that and, you and interacted you know, it's, with. It's called torturous interference. Uh, an international corporation can't get involved with franchise disputes. Uh, and so they couldn't help me. And, I, and, and they kept saying, come back to Keller Williams. And, um, but I, uh, I then kind of just sat around for a couple days thinking, and the idea hit me. I'm going to start my own company, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to rip people off. Because here's, here's the reality. If a dropout of high school who can't spell spaghetti and didn't know the difference between an adjective and a noun can make millions of dollars selling houses, something's very wrong. This mm. is not... Because I was good with people or I loved people uh, and I could put a sign in the yard and hire staff to do all the what I would call, um, you know, the real work, it just it didn't make sense to me. And so uh, I started a company called Joshua Tree Realty uh, on October 16th of 2011. Uh, it's the day we got our stamp from the Department of Regulatory Agencies at the Real Estate Commission. My initial fee for listing was $1,700. Oh my gosh! It was five hundred up front, twelve hundred at the closing, and full service. That's how you uh, structured the commission on yep. every deal on, that on, you on all listings. Okay. No, I didn't care how much your house was worth. Yeah. Seventeen hundred bucks, five hundred front, twelve hundred at the closing. Amazing. Um, we didn't work with buyers for the first few months. We then began to work with buyers, uh, just receiving the normal, you know, two point eight to three percent commission. And let's see, it was June. Of 2012, uh, I got an email from Joshua Tree Realty in Yakima County, California, oh, no. by Joshua Tree National Park, yeah. from the owner, um, trying to threaten me for the name. Yeah. And so we went back and forth in these ridiculous emails, and I finally called a trademark attorney, and uh, he said this, Joshua, I had to break it to you. You're both acting like idiots. Neither one of you can trademark this name, and both of you can use it. Uh, and there's nothing either one of you can do about it because you can't trademark the word Joshua Tree. Okay. Uh, and so my advice to you is either give it up and just share the name with him or rename your company. You know, you're only seven months old. Now's probably the best time to do it. You're not heavily invested. Uh, at the time, I felt like I was heavily invested in Joshua Tree Realty. Um, he said, if you can find a name where the dot com is available at seven letters or less, it's got a 95% chance of being trademarkable. And so we sat around as a team huh. trying to come up with a name and uh, re really struggled. And uh, so I finally shut the team down and I said, what are we doing? What is the purpose of the business? And it was Amber uh, who said, well, we're gonna shake things up. We're fixing it. We're gonna shake up the industry. And I said, what are we shaking up? And she said, real estate. And, and then everybody's realtors and all that. And we looked at the word realtor. And we started to jumble it. And so the word Trelora is the same seven letters of realtor jumbled up. And so our intention was, <laughs> never we're going to shake, shake up real estate. Uh, pretty aggressive move. Um, early on, we made a couple of videos with the word realtor then getting jumbled up. We got uh, cease and desist from the National Association of Realtors. I yeah. mean, this was early, early, early. This was 2012 yeah. where we weren't disruptive. But in the same time, we got the company renamed. I think it was towards the middle of June now that I realized we're hypocrites. We're charging a discount fee on the listing, but we're running around taking 
3% on arguably the easiest part of the transaction, which is being a buyer's agent. The buy side. Uh, okay. A monkey's uncle can open a lockbox and walk in the kitchen and tell somebody that's a kitchen. <laughs> uh, the contracts are state mandated in, in most states in the country. Yeah. There's not a lot of creativity you get. And we in the industry had, have created this um, animosity between a buyer and seller. We have convinced the consumer that a buyer should never talk to a seller. It's dangerous. It's risky. You could lose money. It's, it's not advantageous for the deal. Uh, candidly, that's absolute bullshit. Uh, this is how we protect our 6% is installing fear into the minds of a buyer and seller that communicating with one another is dangerous. Mm, wow. Uh, when arguably I think of every deal that I'd done in my career where the buyer and seller talked, my job was a cakewalk. And so why would we stop this free communication? And so from that day, we raised our price on the listing side to 2200 bucks because all of a sudden I had this big revenue from buyer, I was gonna lose it. So I really had to get with some people and figure out what is a good financial model. We bounced listings to $2,200 and we pushed uh, the buyer agent fee to $3,000. And our justification on the higher buyer agent fee was just the cost of fuel and driving around constantly and some of those things. Right. Uh, and, and we started to take flight and that's where uh, we then would offer on our listings $3,000 buyer agent commission. And that's really, it, arguably, if you look at everything we did, that is the major disruptor that caused us to be in the media and, and to, to give us the growth that we had was not that we were only receiving or charging 3000 it's that other agents with other brokerages when they bought our listings would only get $3,000. Right, as and opposed to their normal 2.8%. 2.8, what yeah. they would call standard or traditional or required or mandated, all right. illegal phrases. Uh, and so as we went through this, this little journey of discovering how to do this, this was back in 2012, the MLS here in Colorado, in Denver, uh, the commission fields that only brokers see, there was two fields, buyer agent and transaction broker, mm -hmm. and the on, only thing you could put in those fields was percentages. And so we just started typing $3,000 instead of a percentage. Right. In the standard form. In the standard, yeah. <laughs> because there was nowhere to put it. And we right. had called the MLS saying this, and they basically said, you can't do that. And I'll never forget, and it was, it was, uh, it, it actually caused the MLS to make the change, but it was, uh, it was a good and a bad day, because we had a closing taking place on a Friday afternoon, $800,000 house. Uh, the agent like many agent was not paying attention to anything mm -hmm. uh, in, in as far as that went. And the closing was done and the title rep brought his commission check for $3,000 to him. And he looked at it and he looked at the title rep and she explained to him and he got pretty upset. And I went down to the conference room and, and Trey Laura to meet with him. And uh, he'd called his broker, his managing broker and I were talking. It was, it was, there was nothing he could do. It was right. very clear we were offering 3,000. His managing broker was trying to offer, claim we were offering 3,000%. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the heartbreak was, is this guy ended up towards the last 10 minutes softening and realizing he'd messed up. But he was heartbroken because the next day, Saturday, was his wedding. And that money was to help pay for their honeymoon, and he didn't have it. Mm. And so to see that my idea was hurting somebody like that, it didn't feel good. Um, but it, it opened the door to realize we've just assumed that this is a fixed fee and this, it's standard and this is how business has to be. Right. And I began to understand antitrust laws, racketeering, boycotting, uh, all the different things that, that uh, caused this industry to become what it was. 
and that we hit the media and we had threats we had email threats phone voicemails i had my the windows in my car smashed out because i had trey laura plates somebody smashed out the windows in my car uh we've had hate mail sent to all of our listings uh all because of not because we were doing anything but changing a commission. And what had happened is this industry for years, if any of you have ever bought a home, you know that the buyer agent's uh, value proposition to you is, I'm free, the seller pays me. The question that we began to ask is, well, who pays the seller? And it's the buyer's money that brings the buyers the picture in the ball game. They yeah. bring all the money to the table and nobody right. gets paid. And so truly, a seller sells their home for a million bucks. They've actually already in their mind done the math on 940,000 bucks and 60,000's gone. Yeah. So technically, if a buyer and a seller got together, that buyer could buy the house for 940 because the seller's already got their head around that number. And so this was really the challenge we began to face. And then it became, we're incapable, our agents are idiots, we're no good. And I was you know, recruiting agents to my firm. And the one thing we did as well was all of our agents were employees. You got a base salary, health insurance, 401k, oh, you got four weeks of paid vacation. And we put you on a bonus structure based on your satisfaction performance bonus with, with your customers. And that really upset the agents. And so what they started saying is our agents were dumb, they were no good, poor service, we don't know what we're doing. Well, over the course of a few years, it was clear we very much knew what we were doing. And the business blew up. And it was. Uh, you know, today, uh, Trey Laura is the number one listing office in Colorado. Is uh, it really? Oh, wow. Yeah, we have more listings than any other office. Not any other brand, any other office. Uh, we are the uh, last I looked, and it's been six or seven months, but last year at one point, we were the uh, number 10 brand in, in, the, in the Denver metro, oh my uh, gosh. You know, uh, Colorado area. And so um, we did it. Now, what's more interesting is the average transactions per agent nationally is six closings per year. A Trelora agent, a top-performing Trelora agent, will close somewhere between 250 and 300 closings a year. And so we built software to support uh, that much agent, volume, but really to remove the friction. I mean, if you think about when a buyer at a property has a question about a green box in the backyard, they turn to their agent and they say, hey, what is that green box? The buyer agent either makes something up or they say, I don't know, let me call the seller. Well, they're not calling the seller, they're calling the listing agent. They call the listing agent. The listing agent either makes something up or they have to call the seller. <laughs> All of this is waiting for somebody to answer a phone call or an email, and it could take a day for that information to go round robin, get the answer from the seller, and get it cycled all the way back to the buyer. And so we began to build software that said, let's let a buyer and seller talk to each other. Let's let the buyer ask the seller directly. Let's let them exchange phone numbers. This was grenade number two. Agents were terrified of this. They yeah. just, and fought it. And many agents still today will not let it happen and have this fantasy or myth in their mind that uh, it's illegal. I mean, we have dozens of emails of agents saying it's not, eagle or, uh, it's not legal for you to speak, for the buyer and seller to speak to each other. Uh, it's not legal to discount the commission. It's a standard required commission. And so, uh, but we, we really, we, we built a model that worked. And uh, through the process, my number one commitment when I started this company was I would never build a company where if somebody came out with their truth, they didn't feel loved and like they mattered. And so we were gonna build a company under the idea that we would live in curiosity and not judgment. Hmm. We would seek to leave each person we came in contact with better than we found them by helping them move their lives forward in a positive motion, committing to say that whatever you do or say, you will not scare us away. We will love you, we will honor you, and we will be the best we can be because you matter and we matter. And that was my core foundation. 
And the focus was, I've got to do that for my employees before I can do that for my customers. Because you can't ask an employee to go do that if they don't feel like they're getting that. Yeah, themselves. And yeah. so we built this core culture that uh, uh, it was life changing. I mean, there was there's a I don't care if you were fired from Trelora, if you resigned from Trelora, if you're still at Trelora, whatever it may be. Uh, for seven years and one month and 24 days, I watched people's lives changed. I watched people quit alcoholism. Uh, I watched people quit lying. I watched people save their marriages. I watched people go chase their real dreams. Uh, we had people that working for us, they didn't want to be in real estate. They wanted to be in wildlife. They wanted to be in music. And my commitment, and I said to them all the time, if you don't like it here, tell me what you want and let me help you get where you want to go. And this can just be a lily pad on your journey that you land on and you get move along. Right. And the other thing I said to the team, uh, which uh, I, I, had, I had to own for myself last year, was uh, we're on a mission to change the world in a way that's unique and special. And uh, you have to be willing to step up in your position. You need to be willing to step down. If you're not succeeding or we need you to move down, you need to be willing to step down or move over or move out. Mm -hmm. Uh, all of us are going to face this at one point or another. I said for seven years, I myself am included in this. And so we've got to look at, do we believe in the mission and what this company is doing? And, uh, you know, we cycled through people and a lot of people are doing amazing things. Some stayed in the industry, some left the industry. Uh, some are, have been there since pretty much the very beginning. We have several employees that have been there five, six, you know, six and a half years. And, uh, uh, but the intent here was that I would move from real estate to title entitled to mortgage mm, okay and uh uh it just was this idea that i thought it was more about the people than the disruption now i also have to own that the original foundation of this company was built on fear shame and anger because uh, when you're dismissed for being who you are uh i was there might even be recordings of me saying i will be at the front seat of the bankruptcy court of remax the day they go under because i'm taking them down uh, wow. same, same with Keller Williams, because I was I was wounded in those days and I yep. didn't know how to put it all together. Uh, over the first two and a half years of the company, I realized that's who cares. Like, you know, we're going to go build the company. Uh, but, it, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge we had was combating the other agents. Mm -hmm. But they yep. were also our best marketers. Wow. Yeah. So are you uh, have you moved into or are you or planning to move into like the mortgage side and the title side? So let's see. Last year, uh, we opened Seattle last February okay. of 18, 2018. And that's really where I began to see, um, you know, working with the board and just some of the things. I, I, I had a pretty aggressive vision. Uh, and I think the board saw what we built was good enough. Let's go. Yeah. And so we opened Seattle and uh, I really thought Seattle was going to give me this new skip in my step and spit in my talk and fire me up to go chase the world. And it did quite the opposite. Uh, Seattle worked. Uh, Seattle still works. It's very it's doing well. Um, That's great. And I just really started to think about what was next. Title became a discussion. And uh, we did open a title company on January 2nd, uh, a month after I left. Uh, it is not a discount title company. It's your standard full fee title company but we do offer all the title services and it's been very successful i think some 90 plus percent of our customers are using uh, using trailora title nice and uh you know we have the savings and there's been a few changes since i've left but that's part of the reason i agreed to leave is i think i was uh, i wore a warrior's hat uh for a very noble cause and when you take on venture capital to the capacity that i did 
there comes a point where the noble cause is uh, winning and making money. Right. And uh, so I, I have I, I resigned as a CEO. We put Brady, who had been with the company, as our CFO, in, in as the uh, CEO. And I have uh, I, I sit on the board, but my day-to-day -day function of the company has really has has died off, and uh, I'm I'm looking on to doing new things outside of real estate. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. That's amazing. And all in seven years, it's a very uh, yeah, very short time to be able to kind of build something from scratch and be sitting where you're sitting now. Well, you know, and I, I think the other thing is um, a lot has evolved in the industry, and I, I would argue, um, I, I think we're going to see some catastrophic bankruptcies uh, in the next four or five years inside of this industry. You look at multiple companies who have received billion-dollar funding, and there is nothing unique about what they're doing. They are traditional brokerages recruiting agents. Yep. Uh, there's this new thing called the iBuyer model where these companies come in and buy your property and they try and flip it. That's right, yeah. Real estate at, companies. If yeah. you, real estate companies. And if you look at these statistics of what they're buying them for and selling for, listen to the earnings calls, all of them, they're, they're, they're losing, they're bleeding. And so venture capital has really fogged what reality is in, mm. in working and not because there's this, and it's all across business right now, there's not necessarily a need to be profitable in business anymore. It's totally cool to lose money. I mean, if yeah. you look at the last seven or eight major companies, <laughs> that's so that have true. Gone, seven or eight companies that have gone public, they're losing billions. Oh yeah. And there's no sight and profit ahead, and everybody's stamping this. It's going to be Amazon. It's going to be Amazon. I mean, you got to look in our history. How many Amazons has there been? I think there's only one, right? <laughs> and there's been other successful stories, but what are the chances that Uber becomes an Amazon? I would argue not, not, not very many. Could it be successful? Yes, but when you're losing a billion dollars a quarter, uh, that's 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 a that's a big deal to swallow. Yeah, and so that it, it just it, it's it's trickled down to where you know pre-revenue companies ide ideations in process getting funding of, of one million, two million, three million dollars. Uh, we just I I couldn't see how that would sustain. And I tried to always keep Treylor at a place that if, if shit hit the fan, I could pull a lever and get to profitability overnight. And, and that's what we are today. I mean, we, 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 we don't, I mean, we arguably don't need venture capital. Right. Uh, we're a profitable, sustainable business. Uh, and, and that's really the objective of, I think that, I think, and I may, I may be crazy, I don't have a high school diploma, so <laughs> I think businesses are supposed to be profitable. I think, yeah. And that's so that's the black number ideally. at the bottom, not the red number at the bottom. <laughs> Right. So now, you know, as a CEO, and this is part of the reason I lost interest, is the, the role more becomes about pleasing investors than pleasing customers. Uh, the role becomes more about how fast can you grow rather than how smart can you grow. And, you know, I think when you look at, you know, you got uh, a dozen different companies that I could point out uh, in the industry that I, if I was a betting man, it's, it's going to be catastrophic. Yeah. God, you know, there's so much talk in the business community about what's what's the next shoe to drop or we're sitting on a bubble. When's it going to burst and what's going to cause it? And I have to like, nobody knows obviously. And who's, you know, when, when's the next, uh, uh, recession coming or whatever. But, um, God, it, it would not surprise me if it's somewhere in the realm of what you're talking about. Well, and these are rough statistics, but if you look at 1998 and 1999, 80% of the companies that went public in those years were not profitable. Right now, we're going to hit like 98 to 99% of the companies that go public this year will not be profitable. Oh, my gosh. If you go back to those days, it was like 69 or 70%-ish of the companies on the public market uh, were profitable. Yeah. Today, if you Google it, uh, what percentage of companies are profitable on the public market? Uh, the last article I read said 
38%. And so if you think about just some of these dangers yeah. uh, that we're facing, uh, yes, the stock market's up. Yes, things are going in the right direction, it feels like. But I mean, how many multiple offer properties can continue to go on? How far can we continue to take this before we look around and realize? And I'll, even right now, I mean, in the last year, the market has significantly slowed. I mean, it is a very different market. Yeah. Yes, there are certain neighborhoods where houses sell in six or seven minutes, but the market's changed. Yeah. Uh, and so it will be, uh, the next four or five years will be fun to watch. I think we're living in a cool time in history, whether it goes up or we blow up as an economy or we, we keep booming. It's just an amazing time to watch how things are evolving uh, and, and what the future holds. I mean, there's industries about to be created that none of us could even fathom. We have no clue what they would be. Right. But they're coming, and our kindergartners and first graders are going to champion and lead these companies. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I can hear one of them in the yeah, background right now. Right there, right? As a matter of fact. <laughs> she, could be, she could be our next uh, CEO of an Amazon-like company. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Joshua, uh, I'm excited to see what's next for you. Speaking of the next, you know, five, six years, I don't know if you have, uh, have that. Uh, it sounds like you have several things in mind, maybe, but um, excited to, uh, to watch what you do next. Uh, I have no doubt that whatever that is, uh, you're going to be impactful and it's going to be a passionate uh, project for you. Uh, that's just kind of who you are in the world. So, Yeah, I uh, hope so. It's, yeah. uh, that's kind of the hope here in, in the middle of all of it. That's great. It will not be in real estate. That's, that's for sure. I think right. uh, 24 yeah. years. And I'll say it's scary as the day is long to know that you don't have a diploma, to know that you don't have a resume that looks the part of what uh, an executive or anything would be. Uh, I've never had a job, per right. se. Uh, and now I'm walking away from the very thing that I was successful in, and I have to start from scratch. Wow. Uh, and I, I guess I should, don't have to, but uh, I think I'm ready. I'm, I'm bored with real estate. I think I think the show is over. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, Brady and 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 that team uh, that he's building over there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they think about what has to be done. What do they? What what fights did I fight? Do they give up on or say aren't worth it? And what fights do they fight that I said weren't worth it? So there's going to be a lot of things that evolve. But uh, for me, I, I I think it'll be far far away from real estate. I'll live in a house, but that's about it. <laughs> that's about it. Somewhere, somewhere, somewhere in the world. Somewhere in the world. Well, uh, two personal questions for you really quick, yep. just because for anyone that's listening that knows Joshua or knows of Joshua, I'm sure many people that are listening do, uh, you have a lot of tattoos. What was your very first tattoo? Very first tattoo was, uh, I was just turned 17 and I did a comedy tragedy mask on the back of my right shoulder blade, which has since been removed and now recovered. Uh, oh, interesting. Covered up. Yeah. Yeah. And my second tattoo was a dolphin and my, at the time, fiance's name, Amber, and it is still on my leg today and, oh, cool. and will remain there forever. So. And what was the last one, the most recent one you got? Uh, the one on my foot. I did the, the onk and the uh, Horus eye on my foot in Costa Rica after my event. I got a tattoo in Costa Rica. Oh. Very and cool. I will, uh, was this just in January? Just in January. Awesome. Yeah, and there's many more to come. You know yeah. why not? And but when yeah, you see not? when you see me in the city as a businessman, uh, you would have no clue that I have any tattoos. I don't look like I would have tattoos. Uh, right. You know, I go to new cities. I was in D.C. speaking on behalf of the real estate industry a couple months ago, and uh, it was hot. It was miserable. And I'm in. I typically wear black black pants, black shirt, and I'm doing this thing. But we're walking five or six blocks, and yeah. so. Not even thinking, I rolled up my sleeves, 
and the four guys in suits and ties and suspenders. I don't even own a tie. So right. the fact that I'm not in a tie, I'm already standing out. They were just troubled. And then the rest of the meetings, they just kept staring at my arms. And I don't think in judgment, <laughs> just thinking totally yeah, just curious about expected, you, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's great. Well, it, it looks amazing, all your ink. So I'm, uh, well, you know, I think, I, I think in what's next for me, and even under this conversation, is uh, everybody wakes up in the morning to leave out to the world, and they put on a mask. Mm. And uh, beyond that mask is somebody with something. All of us. You have something. You have something. We have things going on, and we have realities that aren't appropriate to share or we don't share. We have burdens that we carry, and we're not the way we look, right? Uh, inside of each one of us is somebody who's longing to matter and make a difference and be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And if anything, if I could open the hearts and minds of all of us to live more in curiosity and not judgment and truly do that in a way that's... Uh, uh, not just with our own perceived realities, but the ability to go around all the way around a subject and say, I understand and be okay with not agreeing with something. And, and curiosity, I think, is the biggest thing that we need as individuals and as a nation right now, because we're definitely in tumultuous times and uh, the judgment coming from all directions is just extraordinary. And I think yeah, if we I could, could just not agree more. put that past us and say, I love you for who you are and where you stand and nothing you do or say will scare me away. Uh, wow. that, that's, 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 that's my heart for people. What a phenomenal way to cap this off. And, uh, just thank you so much for yeah, your you vulnerability, sharing your personal story. A lot of it, you know, very personal, uh, the, really the vision for this podcast is to build a thriving business community based in generous leadership and authentic connections. Thank you so much for your generous leadership today. And Absolutely. I look forward Happy to, to uh, yeah, I look forward to you know staying in touch and seeing what's next. Indeed, I'll be around. All right.